0: Hello, so, welcome to Theoretically Theatrical. My name is Rosie Beach and I'm going to be walking you through some of the ways we prepare for a show. We are going to talk about the rehearsal process, the performance itself, and how to take feedback. We have been working on a three part project looking at combining radio style audio performances with physical movement. So far, we've presented our work three times and received feedback. I want to look at what I've learned and think about how I can apply it in the future. So why am I doing this? I've always really enjoyed listening to radio programs. When I was little, I had a Walkman and I could listen to it anywhere. I think radio requires very skilled actors as well as writers who know how to work with the medium. When I was asked to create a performance that was meaningful to me, I gravitated towards the unique feelings and experiences that I have had from listening to audio. I want to encourage the audience to think of their movements as part of the performance. If all goes to plan, the audience and I will be able to create a story together. So let's get started. performance can be quite daunting, so I decided I was going to experiment with my ideas about audio with a piece written by Katrina Scott. I knew I was in safe hands because she is an excellent author who has had her work performed at the Fringe and at the Bayer Theatre. She kindly let me use extracts from her play Poor Painted Queen.
1: I had a certain affinity towards the character of Queen Margaret, Um, and so when I was at the University of St Andrews doing my undergrad. I ended up writing my uh, English dissertation piece on uh, Queen Margaret's role in not only Richard III, but the Henry VI plays that preceded it, which is also known as the um, First Tetralogy, Shakespeare's First Tetralogy, because he actually wrote them before Richard II and the Henry IV and Henry V even though they historically came first but i'm not going to go into that because that's a whole other kettle of fish (laughs) (laughs) so basically um i wrote my dissertation on queen margaret and how important she is in these plays and it occurs to me as i'm writing this hang on a minute she's a very important character she's the one who actually has the guts to try and save the crown for her family and for her husband and her son And yet the plays are named after Henry VI, who frankly just sits around and doesn't do very much and is a bit of a pansy. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, (laughs) I mean, I love him. He's a light. I love him as a character. But, um, you know, I was thinking to myself, man, Margaret needs a play. And I thought to myself when I was doing my MSC uh, in playwriting, I said, you know what, I'm going to write it. You know, (laughs) I've got the opportunity here uh, to do a full length
0: two-act play. Uh, Why shouldn't it be me? There's a slight hint of voyeurism because we're peeking into this in the intimate privacies of a woman who a had to be a public figure because the king and queen mm. are public figures b was having a really bad time and everybody was sort of and so the plays both shakespeare's and yours are slightly voyeuristic in that way
1: yeah i mean i, I hadn't actually thought about it that way but i guess They're voyeuristic, as you say, in the sense of us looking into her private life. But I think there's also creative license, um, because obviously we don't know um, entirely what she was up to, because all we have to go on are historical records, which hardly give us much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, as I actually wrote in a wee note at the start of the play, um, I said that this play is a fictional account of the life of Queen Margaret of Anjou, but it was inspired by historical fact. Mm-hmm. So, and I also said that the words are, for the most part, imagined by the playwright. I had some uh, words here and there that were taken from primary sources, historians, chronicles, that sort of thing.
3: Mm-hmm. But for the
1: most part, it was me making everything up. And so, in a sense, I, I guess, I, I'm not trying to compare myself to Shakespeare, but it does feel a little bit kind of I'm putting words in people's mouths
0: as he did. As time moves on, what is considered good or uh, a good person? or a good woman changes so for instance her being outspoken and raising an army and strong-willed was considered really bad back then or oh, from yes. from a, yeah but for us that's like woo badass woman go girl you know
1: that that's why that's why i wish people knew more about i'd like more people to know about about her story and also i think uh, just to briefly deviate from that for just a second i think also there's something important to be said the fact that she wasn't actually English—getting mm. um, into a bit of a murky waters here—but because um, mm-hmm. uh, it was traditional um, for a monarch to marry um, somebody from another noble house, that was just a thing. But the fact was that at the time, England had been at war with France in the Hundred Years' War, mm-hmm. and Henry the Sixth was like, "I'm going to have this French bride," and everybody in England kind of went, uh, "What, mate?" You know? <laughs> there was a, a loss in, in the play, um, as well as drawing on. Um, her character was being a strong uh, the, you know the classic strong female character um, but she's also there are elements i like to think although they're not hopefully the, the most important bit but i, th- I think this be quite still quite key is the fact that she was as well as being a woman who was strong she was also a foreign woman
2: mm. uh, who
1: was strong who was able to kind of challenge these preconceived ideas of womanhood i mean because in in france uh, a wee bit of historical background mm. uh, in France her mother and her grandmother had both ruled in the place of her father and her grandfather when they had been absent or as her father had been he'd been in debtors prison for ages um, basically just sitting around reading books while her mum was actually ruling
2: mm. and
1: so there's a part in the play actually where she says right okay my husband's lost his marbles and my son is literally a baby so I'm going to rule the country instead um, and of course for her that's totally normal but of course Uh, I think it's Warwick who says, Madam, this is England. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Having looked back at it, I think there's definitely a lot of, uh, I suppose, feminist themes with Margaret as not only a queen, uh, foreign-born woman, but also uh, somebody who is a mother Mm -hmm. and who is a wife. So she has all these different roles, and it kind of explores how these different roles have to... uh, how they necessarily intersect or how they work against each other like for example um it's her love for her son that helps to spur her on through all the trials and tribulations that she faces mm-hmm. um while she despairs of henry as her husband and she despairs of him as a king and i think that's one of my favorite lines i'm probably going to quote it's wrong now actually but um mm-hmm. uh to find it in the script but she says of henry uh, when she she and edward are leaving and they actually they leave henry to be captured by their enemies by the Yorkists. Yeah. Uh, and she says to him that she, uh i pray that you find peace henry with your failures as a uh, king and as a husband
0: i remember uh, that line that was so much fun to say because i was also playing henry so i was it was it was a lot of fun to be this not snivelling coward because he's not a snivelling coward. He's a very conflicted person, but it was it was fun to play him. But then to just be this sassy queen that was just like, right, you have failed <laughs> in all yes. ways. I mean,
1: uh, contrast between the two sides of Margaret. This kind of herself as a, a caring mother and as a dutiful queen. But then when they're going gets tough, she has to become even more protective of her son and she has to actually become a warlike queen rather than just do the traditional um sitting by her husband's side letting him crack on and her just being the kind of mediator what was really fun was when we were doing the rehearsals um i would have the actors coming up to me and saying oh i really like how you did this with this character and i was sitting there going yep that's what i meant to do (laughs) you know um, and the, the bit that really struck me was when my uh, director was speaking to the chap who's playing Henry VI, and she said, Right, okay, so h- looking at this page, I can see that your key words here are this, 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 and this. And it was thick words like peace and calm, um, um, kind of those kind of words. Just going, Those are the key words for you in this theme. And I really like how the playwright has use these words in particular to signify what your character's all about. And I'm sitting there going,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. This is what I intended, just don't say. This
0: has, yeah, meant that.
1: So, so that, that was great, actually, because it meant that after the performance, when it came time to kind of do the final tweaks before submitting, I was able to kind of look at scenes, having seen it from a director's perspective, and actually go, ooh, yes, yeah, this scene these are sort of things that are, are the most important to kind of bring out. I was able to kind of take that and kind of look at it from a different direction and go, well, actually, yes, she might have done a lot of bad things, but at the end of the day, were her intentions good? You know, she was trying to keep the throne for her husband and her son. I mean, she, she wasn't trying to use up the throne and say, right, that's it, I'm queen now. Goodbye, Henry, go live in the tower or something. You know, she was doing it for... Um, her family for for the Lancaster dynasty, so she wasn't just kind of this monstrous woman who was out to destroy um, the patriarchy itself. I mean granted, she thought it was a bit stupid probably, mm-hmm. and uh, worked against it in certain ways, but at the end of the day, um, you could say that her role as queen and as a mother overrode the sense of her as um, a warrior queen.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with me today.
1: No problem, thank you very much for having me.
0: Now that I had the text, I had to think about how I was going to present it. I decided to do a bit of research. Fleisch talks about what he calls the magical effect of radio.
4: It is an invisible medium that operates like an illusion. Voices are disembodied by the radio and could belong to anyone. Therefore, the audience has to actively engage with the performance to negotiate the meaning.
0: And Hall elaborates on the idea of the audience being part of the performance. The
5: audience interprets the meanings of the text based on their individual cultural background and experiences. It is the relationship with the performance that produces meaning. It is a debate between the audience's perception of what the performance is saying... And their own lived experiences.
0: Based on these ideas I decided to pre-record lines from Poor Painted Queen and interact with them in front of an audience. It would be their job to imagine bodies for these voices and think about how they would move and what they would look like. This was my first experiment with creating an imagined world with the audience. stage with a dim lighting and cushions and blankets for the audience to sit on. I hoped this visually muted environment would allow their mind's eye to roam. It went a little bit like this. Maman, when we defeat the new Duke of York, can we give him a paper crown too? He deserves one to match his father. He deserves to match his father and die on the battlefield too, but Zalavi. Uh, They've been fighting all day. Lord have mercy upon them. Lord forgive them. Henry, we do not have time for this. It's palm Sunday, Margaret. What should I be doing? You should be out there leading your troops instead of cowering in a church. Maybe then there's a chance we would have won. You are God's anointed king and you won't even fight for your crown. Margaret... We've lost, Henry. The battle is lost and the Yorkists are coming for us. Don't start with your prayers now. Margaret, please. This isn't just about you. We have a son. Or had you forgotten him? Like you forget everything else. will be happier without a crown. My son is nothing like you. He was born to be king. You would rather I was leading my troops because you would rather I was dead. I understand. I didn't say that. Henry, we have to leave now. Oh, I understand, Margaret. I really do. I should be fighting for you, for our son. Sometimes, I wish I were like my father. We don't have time for your prayers or your wishes, Henry. Are the Yorkists really coming after us? If they are, then this is God's will. God's judgment for our ill deeds. God's judgment for what? Failing to lead your people? Disinheriting your son? Margaret, no one can truly understand the will of the Lord. Stop it! We have lost everything. We have lost everything. And you say that it's God's will? You sicken me. You are right. It would be better if you had fought and died. At least then you would have died nobly rather than fleeing from your own people, you coward. (laughs) Father, Ma didn't mean to. There is no time. We have to leave. Now. Where will we go? We will go to France. My cousin Louis will help us. He must. Will you come with us, Henry? Or will you stay here in your precious church to be captured and imprisoned by your own subjects? I am the king. My place is here. I cannot go with you. Father Edward, nous partons maintenant. Henry, I hope God answers your prayers, and that you finally find peace with your failure as a king, as a husband, and as a father. Useful feedback afterwards.
3: Do you want technology you use to be obvious? When there's only a small amount of movement, people will really focus on it.
4: We knew it was you performing all the different characters, so you might want to make the voices more distinct or get a second actor.
1: Music is very powerful. It signals what kind of emotions you're trying to convey.
3: The lighting you used made your presence on stage really interesting.
4: You seemed isolated and not very active. Your voice
3: was very reassuring. There were moments of disconnection, where we felt there was something we should have understood, but didn't.
4: You could push the audience further, bring them into the story.
0: Listening to feedback can be tough, but break it down into what the audience was focusing on and constructive points that you can use. Building on it can make your performance so much better. start getting ready for a second show. After thinking about the feedback from last time, I decided to try writing my own simple story. I got in touch with a group of actors that I've worked with before to try devising the performance as a group. In rehearsals, we created characters and situations through improvisation. I then based my script on the characters and scenarios that we had developed. Could you give me a brief description of the setting? Ooh, that's a tricky one.
6: Let me think. Uh, the best thing that we could probably liken it to is, like, the... It, we kind of based it on the bronze, bronze bronze, Age or something like Dark, that. Dark, Dark
5: Ages. Cool. Um, pre-medieval setting. Kind of prehistoric, pre-when-things-were-written um, times.
0: <laughs> Clan, community, small groups of uh, high tensions...
6: There's definitely an element of mysticalness about it. It's like most of the um, improv acting that we do is centred around a, a, a more medieval setting, a more kind of realistic setting almost, without magic or without um, any of the typical D&D stuff that you get. Yeah. But this, um, this world has a more fairy tale-esque, slightly mystical element to it. Kind of mythological. Yeah, exactly. That's the best word.
0: <laughs> we started it over a weekend. I guess like we would kind of
7: roughly go with what scene we're going to do next, but we don't know the contents of the scene because it's improvisation. So you know, it will unfold before our eyes, but we go, okay, so let's have
5: these characters in this setting. We just kind of give it, I guess, sort of the skeleton, and then yeah. when we actually do the scene, it's putting the meat on the bone, so to speak. The
6: difference between having something scripted and something that's improvised is intense. Actually, I don't think I can get into the zone quite as well with something that's been scripted as something that's just improvised because with the scripts. All the emotions and all the, the, the conflicts within the character, they almost, although they can be realistic, they feel kind of put upon you, whereas when you're improvising and you're in the moment, all those emotions are more or less real for you at that time. You know, you're, you're going with the flow, you're, you're reacting how you as your character would react in that situation with their temperament, with their world around them, you're completely
0: immersed. Could you uh, quickly run me through your characters, that, uh, or the main characters that you play in Blood Ages? my main character is Ezra who
5: is the human incarnation of the deity that's worshipped in our medieval setting essentially pushed out of heaven <laughs> by the other gods and they kind of said you go ahead and do it and uh, so she's having to navigate this human world she's kind of developed from there to having a mission now she's on earth um, but whether or not that will actually work remains to be seen which has turned out to be a bit a bit more messed up in some ways than I originally envisaged. <clears throat> Um, I play um, a man called Tobias.
7: Um, He's a warrior, or like, I didn't, this is something I didn't know he was a warrior to begin with, that came out through um, improvising, because all I got was that he was a shepherd, um, a bit of a hermit shepherd, he lives on the edge of the village that we started in, the um, first setting we started with, and he very much keeps himself to himself, very grumpy, very hostile um and but it transpires that he's actually a warrior and um, has deserted but he was a, a mercenary which is not great in this society to be um it's a very clannish society to the extent that everyone has tattoos on their faces mm. um of belonging so if you're fighting for money then you're a bit of a shit. all he wants is a quiet life well
2: <laughs> he will never <laughs> have it <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> and
7: then um, his little friend brings a god round to his house and uh because little friend accidentally shot her with an arrow when she rent, uh, fell down from heaven and uh tobias is convinced that she's a fairy or was convinced that she's a fairy and she was very hostile towards her and
6: whacked her with a big stick
2: yeah
6: mm. um <laughs> <laughs> so. that's a way to start a story guys is whack the god with the stick yeah. <laughs> and i i have two sort of main characters, I play them half and half depending on who I'm hanging around with at the time, but the first one that came out was Mediv and she is a clan chief, um, quite young but very vicious. Um, She has an axe that is rarely out of her hand and she's not afraid to use on anything she doesn't like from her steak dinner to her steak dinner server Um, and she she goes around basically trying to defeat as many other clans as she can, be as powerful as she can, and that eventually includes. Which, when she meets Ezra, trying to get the power of a god. I also have um, a Kiara, who is a slave girl that they kind of find in amongst this journey, who is the complete opposite um, of men and is the quietest, most obedient little thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And actually at one point in one of the LARPs they decided that she shouldn't be a slave anymore and tried to free her and she had a hissy fit and um, tried to do herself some harm. I love being able in improvisation to go between those two dynamics mm-hmm. and have two completely contrasting characters and experience both the emotions as um, as
0: validly is that a word? As each other? <laughs>
6: <laughs> That's not a word, right? I'm being told, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Describing that as a hissy fit is the oh, I love it. Just... <laughs> 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 oh, don't feel Sorry. like being <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, So I guess I, I should say who I play as well. Uh... So in in the, the the main character I play a religious figure called Ralia, but uh, the other big character I play is obviously Llewellyn, um, and Llewellyn was a way for me to explore the mystical side of this pre uh, lawful era, the, the sort of fantasy elements of this. So Llewellyn is a man who. So he was uh, stolen by the fairies as a child and proceeded to fight his way out of fairyland, biting as many heads off as he could. <laughs> <laughs> he then became very extremely skilled at archery and worked his way up to becoming a general in Mediv's army. As an example,
5: uh, in the scene where Mediv took Ezra's eye, um, I remember just, I don't know if any of us were expecting that with the outcome of that scene, one of the outcomes of that was- as medev, I can tell you absolutely no, I was yeah. not expecting <laughs> <laughs> it. Sorry, Ezra. Yeah. And, and the thing that that was, because it was fully improvised, when we had that moment where you kind of said to me, this is all happening, it meant that I was able to do that really <laughs> dramatic <classics>. um, <laughs> Primal <laughs> Oh it was beautiful. The emotion and that was intense. It was such fun though, because I mean I, I, I couldn't if you put in a script you just say, you know, Ezra screams or whatever. But because we were in that moment and I could feel whatever garden tool it was that you were pretending with an axe. was like,
6: Also,
7: because um, because we don't know the script, we don't know what's happening. I remember
6: hearing you scream but not knowing which one of you had screamed. I find it very forgiving and also very kind actually like whenever we're together and particularly with Blood Ages actually because there's a, a strong element of magic in the improv that we're doing it's like um, for example when Ralia is doing her um, shamanistic beautiful magical um, spells around them and you know conjuring smoke or whatever in, into the shapes of animals to tell them a story you know like she maybe Rosie's moving her hands around but we can imagine, it and there's a kindness in that from us. As, like there's there's a beautiful imagination going on sh- that we're sharing, but there's also a kindness in that we're allowing that to happen. Everybody's allowing everybody else to be powerful in their own way, mm. um, and it, it's it's because it brings you really close to that, the people that you're working with. Mm. The suspension of disbelief that we just go with it. It's, like, it's kind of like uh, if
7: it was in a in a show, um, how you you automatically blank out the um, set changes because the stage crew coming on and moving things.
0: I, this is the big question at the end. What is it like creating a story as a group? Wonderful.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I'm getting emotional, guys. Just...
6: <laughs> <laughs> in one word, squee. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's amazing. I have never felt confident in making friends, um, particularly close friends. But doing the improv together, it adds, it makes it easier for me to feel close to you guys. I um, always come out of it feeling safe and like I've been somewhere magical and it just, like it makes me feel good about myself and my abilities and it makes me feel so glad to have you guys around to do this. Fun nonsense with, um, and to be free with, and not have anybody judge or, um, you know, have anybody concerned. Like we're all just having fun. It's it's so
5: so true. Well, oh man, we're all
0: gonna start crying now. <laughs>
5: just being completely free and open and being able to do all sorts of very weird situations is the fact that we can do all of these crazy shenanigans but at the end of the day the reason that we have so much fun with them is because of the bond that we have as friends and that makes the stories and the situations so much stronger and more believable and therefore more fun to play.
0: Well thank you so much for talking to me about this guys Um, and though we may be far away from each other now I look forward to the day when we can all be together again. (laughs) 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 They can't each
2: other.
0: <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> in <a loving> way. <laughs> I decided to write about a character I had played called Llewellyn. The story goes that Llewellyn is preparing for battle while reminiscing about how his wife, Leisha, used to help him. Once the battle begins, he is caught in single combat with the younger warrior, Tobias. At the end of the fight, they both die from their wounds. The audience is then led on stage to simulate a funeral. When it is over, Llewellyn finds himself in the fairy realm, but rejects the Queen's offer to stay. He resolves to escape and search for his wife. Disobedient children to record a song for the show. We modified a poem by J.R.R. Tolkien to fit the story and elaborated on a melody by Stephen Oliver. Then we set to work recording the lines for the show. This involved us trying to build a makeshift recording booth out of blankets and duvets. In addition, most of the lines were in Norwegian and we struggled with the pronunciation. Why did we do this to ourselves? It was so the audience could better distinguish the living warriors from the more magical Fae. Our aim was to continue to experiment with the relationship between audio recordings and audience participation. Audio drama has no physical limitations and can use the audience's imagination to produce fantastic scenes. There are many methods that have been used to encourage audience participation. Stier explains the playwright Brecht's ideas about how to make an audience active.
4: Brecht championed the practice of epic theatre, which values decision-making, confronting audiences with uncomfortable scenarios, and investigating the faults in its own characters. He wanted to prevent audience complacency. Some of the ways that Brecht attempted to do this include playing recordings to the audience, the jarring use of music, and a minimalist set. By showing the audience the methods of creating a performance, he hoped to inspire them to act in the real world.
0: Our show involved two actors performing alongside a soundscape that we had created. We choreographed our fight to make the movements exaggerated so as to better convey the characters' emotions. I'm going to play you some of the audio from the performance. Try to picture what the actors would look like as you listen.
2: Bare den stirke Du skønner dig, i skrænt.
5: Jai bliver hos dig til din
7: Ni gardat en änen.
2: Luellen.
0: Vi kan ha detsamma blå. Men vi är väldigt forskjelliga människor. Jag vill aldrig.
2: Lisha.
0: My fellow performer Monica is here to talk about how the performance went.
7: Rehearsing the fighting, it mm. was really fun, and we had limited time to do it. And I think what we came up with in that time was really good for the amount of time we had. It was really, really fun just getting all the um, the moves in and being flexible enough to be able to improvise if we forgot a move here and there, and we, we actually did that on the day which was really <laughs> great and i don't think the audience could tell that we missed one move and rosie improvised spectacularly <laughs> um, <laughs> i ended up literally choking you on- <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Oh, it's
7: one way to improvise oh, it was great i had such bruises after that but it was so worth it the audience is a kind of mixed thing for me like at once it gives me like way more energy and mm. like you know drive to do it and i'm more in the zone because i'm like you know, the, the full lighting's there the smoke machines there the audiences are like in in it but um but then i did get quite like distracted because it's a live performance i really enjoy performing in front of an audience i think it gives it a special life mm. um but at the same time it made me nervous momentarily and i forgot a move <laughs> so
0: which wasn't the end of the world which was a, you know an no. yeah. uh-huh. after that session we because we had a break for lunch and the two of us mm-hmm. walked around a park as the characters yeah. interacting yes. for a bit mm-hmm. and it was a really for me it was a really good way to almost contextualize the performance or or build on it mm-hmm. you know
7: yes uh uh-huh. mm-hmm. oh i agree no it's good to kind of get the because we um, in order to like get more into character, because obviously like you had to, uh, Llewellyn I had to draw on a character that I already had in order to because I didn't want to just play like a blank
2: mm-hmm.
7: like opponent char- like non-character you know just like a random person to be on stage with I was like in order to maybe they really do this and to really improvise if things go wrong I have to be a character so I drawn my own existing character and it really helped.
0: What are some of the ways that you characterised your performance?
7: Um, the, the, particularly with the start so we didn't immediately start fighting mm-hmm. Um they kind of like squaring off mm-hmm. at the beginning we established that there was a relationship already between these two characters and that mine had turned on uh, Llewellyn mm-hmm. and that you know they were once friends so Llewellyn was reluctant to engage with them but he, um, mine kept pushing at it and provoking him and insulting him and things like that wouldn't have been able to have been done as effectively if I didn't already have a character and you know establish that there was a relationship already between the two of them it would have just been a kind of like and then they someone appears and then they clash swords the end like
2: um,
7: I feel it gave it more depth and more interest to follow because you could actually follow the kind of human story of you could see Llewellyn resisting and trying to make peace and then finally giving in to conflict
0: neither of them line up with modern morality in any way shape yeah. or form so yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's not exactly easy to root for them
2: <laughs> yeah
7: <laughs> no. uh, it was really good to have a lot of room because when we had we're kind of blocking some of the, the scenes like weeks before if we kind of were blocking it out in my living room, and there was like a light fixture above, and we were hitting it with the sword, <laughs> and so there wasn't really like room to actually do anything, so it was great to have the big stage like to it really suited that particular piece of physical theatre mm,
0: I think that was part of the reason why we were flinging ourselves
7: so much yeah. yeah it was just so much fun to fling ourselves around so we just kept doing it <laughs> then the next morning because yeah. you stayed over at mine and we both woke up yeah. and we were just like
2: ah. <laughs> yeah
0: Communicating
7: with our bodies during that yes uh-huh yeah it was like a dance uh-huh it's mm-hmm. performance through movement and there's there's a point as well um a, a particular move that i remember that it was very exaggerated on my part and i felt it was almost like a dance that was um tobias like jumped up behind lowell and grabbed him yeah and a chokehold from behind and i kind of flung my arms out first to kind of show the intent of the movement mm. to the audience um, rather than being a realistic move because you wouldn't waste all that energy flinging your arms around like that in an actual thing but in a kind of more stylized dance move you would. Although I was physically performing with you I also did a wee bit of the uh, voice performing. You did the, of the course queen. you
0: did yeah you were the, you were the yeah.
7: queen. That was really fun because that was just done like yeah in my bedroom in um, Dundee and recording but i really enjoyed doing that that was a a entirely made-up language wasn't it
0: it was it was based on tolkien's elvish i really enjoyed doing that (laughs) your scream Um, was one of the best things i've ever heard (laughs)
7: oh thanks but it was i really enjoyed like you know all of us doing the kind of whispering Mm. as well as Llewellyn was hearing all these fairies and just going like Mm. that was really fun and just the way it sounded once we'd uh press play on what we just recorded it was like oh that sounds so chilling
0: that was when I started thinking about combining physical performance with audio performance and mm-hmm. trying to engage the audience on multiple levels I think that was a big learning point for me about how to mm-hmm. organize myself
4: yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and try
0: and coordinate with other people so I think I'm I'm a little mm-hmm. bit better at that now and I think that's because Good. of you know, learning with you guys with that whole process. Mm. Well, yeah. well, thank you so much for talking with me about this, and th- also thank you yeah, for l- lending your considerable talents to the performance. <laughs> oh, thank you.
7: You're very welcome.
0: Very welcome wonderful. Thank you so much. So, what did we learn from the audience this time?
1: I liked participating in the funeral. Placing the leaves on the body was really engaging.
3: The moments of audience interaction were striking. It gave it the feeling of a game.
4: Using a language that we didn't know made it feel like a folk story.
1: Some of the recording sounded like narration, but some sounded like it was part of the world. You might want to make the distinction clearer.
3: You could push the audience interaction further. You have to make it clear what is expected of the audience.
4: Think about how the physical and recorded performances work together and what gaps they fill in for each other.
0: For the next show, I was going to get the audience up and moving around for the whole performance. I was inspired by games like Zombies Run and The Walk by Naomi Alderman and Six to Start, where the player has to move a certain distance before they are given the next instalment of the story. I think it's important to say that this was the time of year when Covid-19 was starting to become a problem, and so sadly this performance has been delayed. But I'm still going to take you through the preparations we made and how those continue remotely during lockdown. So come with me on this. I was going to need a lot more help for this show because there was going to be a cast of physical actors and a separate group of vocal performers. The plan was to take the audience on a walk around the park as they all listened to the same radio play. As this happened, actors dressed in black and wearing staghorns would begin to follow them around. We wanted to try and portray a dramatised version of the experience of one facet of living with mental health problems. The aim of the performers was to try and distract the audience from the radio play, while the audience would try to keep their focus on the play and continue the walk. This might give them their own experience of having difficulty focusing on everyday tasks. In rehearsal with the physical performers, our goal was to imitate the behaviour of intrusive thoughts that people with anxiety, OCD or depression might experience. If an audience member were to pay attention to the distractions, The act would intensify their movements, and if the audience member kept watching them, then other actors would gather around them. This would prevent the audience member from continuing on the walk. The actors had to devise a style of movement that looked creepy and disturbing. They also had to focus on getting the audience's attention without touching them. We were inspired by performers from haunted houses, who could frighten their audiences with their body language, sudden movements and timing. We also experimented with grotesque facial expressions and creating a presence within the performance space. The majority of the unnatural movements were in the head, neck and hands. In our rehearsals for the radio play, a group of five actors developed their characters and prepared to record a new script called Rare We planned to record most of the piece inside a car to create the feeling of an enclosed space. We hoped that this would create more of an organic feel to the performance, as actors craned their necks to look at each other and reacted to the claustrophobic space. The audience will be gathered at a meeting place and told to use their phones to look for the podcast that we made. Before they begin to listen to it, they will be told to ignore anyone with antlers that tries to engage them and to keep up with the group. When everyone is ready, they will all press start at the same time. We will then begin to walk. When the group enters the park, the first two performers will start to follow the group. They will start trying to distract the audience. Throughout the walk, more performers will join in pairs and the distraction techniques will grow more elaborate. This will continue until the end of the walk, after which the performers will line up for a bow. We wanted to create a simple silhouette so we dressed the performers in black. We also used antlers to signal cultural ideas of magic and the unknown. Performers wearing horns have often been used to represent something outside of human understanding, for example in Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor. The physical performance relies on mine, of which Lecoq is considered a master. Our aim is to open up the physical imagination of performers and focus on the creative process rather than the end product. My students commonly generate text which is made up of movement, gesture, dance and music. Mime is the art of man's identification with the characters, elements and objects that surround us. It is an art of attitudes. It reveals man in his most deep and secret aspirations. When it came to writing the radio play, I was inspired by Richard Hand.
7: A listener can easily perform some other activity, work, drive and so on, while listening and paying attention to the radio. This may conjure up a contemporary image of multitasking individuals listening to podcasts while they keep fit or travel from A to B, but we should remind ourselves that inventions such as the car radio first appeared in the 1920s and steadily grew in popularity from the 1930s onwards. The iconic family gathered around the wireless as if they were waiting for television to be invented may not be as ubiquitous as the cliché suggests. We are dismantling the myth of the sensory hierarchy the idea that vision is superior to sound.
0: Huela added that the techniques of radio can alter the meaning of the story. The medium through which a story is told has an
6: influence on the story itself. Directors and performers alter the rhythm of a script which affects the engagement of the audience. Radio drama is an art in its own right, telling stories through sound and thereby applying a wide range of auditive and technical features.
0: Since this was an exploration of mental health problems, I read around the subject of drama therapy. Pitra contextualised the practice's history.
4: The social space created by performance encourages introspection and catharsis. Therefore, drama therapy can be used to create a safe space to challenge distressing thoughts and to analyse our own behaviours. It can be regenerative and increase confidence and self-awareness. By enacting a story, it allows us to understand why we feel fear or anxiety.
0: I'm going to play you a section from the radio play Rare. As you listen, try walking around and doing other activities at the same time, if you can.
6: um, I keep trying to call you Mum's getting suspicious with how often I'm going out to use the phone box I'm running out of change too Listen, if you don't phone back I don't know what else to do Dad won't let me in the house if he finds out I'm running out of options here This is going to be the last time I call Since you can't even be bothered to phone me back I guess you want no part in this You won't see me at school either I'm not going to put up with her bollocks So goodbye, have a nice life and sod off
5: Congratulations, you have a baby boy. Quite a pair of lungs on him. He'll be a good singer, I can tell.
6: Hi there. Look at you. You made it, my
2: little rebel.
0: and Dave Airlines
6: watch where you're going what the hell is your problem wait your turn why was she so grumpy mum probably because she's an entitled jerk would have killed her just smiled or apologised come on honey let's go off and find our rental car
5: will it have a tape player
1: we'll have to see excuse
7: me
0: yes madam
7: sorry to bother you but has the flight to London left I need to find my connection it's tight and I need to get back home my dad died
6: bollocks What's wrong, Mum? I just made a mistake that's all also don't repeat that word
5: No no, no,
6: I can't have missed it. Excuse me, um we sat next to each other on,
7: on the plane all oh, right i'm um, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of a crisis, and I don't have time to chat. I know um I, I heard you talking to the flight attendant. I'm sorry for your loss. thank you um unfortunately, there isn't another flight
6: scheduled because of the weather. Can you please excuse me? I have to phone my mum. Wait, um, I wanted to ask if you needed a lift? What? Well, you're going south, right? So are we. Um, I got a new job and, well, anyway, maybe we could help you get home. That... that would really help. Are, Are you sure? Yeah. People are always looking for others to step up and nobody does anything, so we'll call this my good deed for the week.
7: Thank you so much.
6: If we're, if we're going to travel together, I should probably ask your name. Uh, it's Queenie, and um, this is my son, Rebel. I'm Iggy.
2: I live in liminal spaces And incomplete rituals That lead to habitual restlessness So never stop running, I'll never stop running I'm a wanderer, past passenger
0: The performance itself hasn't taken place yet, but I sent an outline of it to the people who would have been in the audience. They had some really insightful stuff to say. I like the idea of a headphone tour and being distracted. The antlers make it
3: feel surreal. It's funny that both the audience and the performers have headgear of some kind.
4: There wasn't a clear connection between the play and the walk.
3: Maybe it would
1: be more effective if the radio
3: play was simpler and directly connected to what we were doing. I think it could be really effective if the two aspects were more integrated.
0: It has been exciting to have the time to explore these ideas and to experiment with different styles of performance. The feedback I've had has led me in some interesting directions. I started with a basic concept of combining audio with physical performances and based on audience reaction, I've moved towards emphasising participation. I began with stories that were independent of the audience and now I'm moving towards creating a story with them. One that they feel that they play an important role in. I'm really excited to see where I can take this next.
4: Theoretically theatrical, the presenter was Rosie Beach. Piggy was played by Monica Burns. Rebel was played by Katrina Scott. Queenie was played by Alice Jameson. The audience was played by Ari Ellis and Kirsty Whittaker. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Music was performed by Alice's Disobedient Children. This has been a Yorick Radio production.